Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 295. I'm your host, Mike Prime Apps, and with me as always... Fully expected Inquisition, David Frank, I'm on And can't always answer the questions right. Your managed pen, Michael Baker, Kajiman Okatari. They're educated guesses. Yeah, yeah. But they're not usually proven wrong so quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was like yeah, no, this is record pace. Bolt yep. sent down from oh. God. Yeah. Okay, so let's just get the matter straight. We have a featured retraction today. Um, so sometime about last week, thereabouts, I um, there was a question of did I think Gust would ever put out Atelier Marie again? And I was like, I can't really see it happening because they would have to do a like a completely thorough remake to you know uh, bring it up to closer to series standard. I can't imagine them putting that much effort into it. And then what do I see on my news feed the other day, like literally a day and a half ago now? <laughs> yeah, uh, for those who weren't watching it, the Nintendo Direct in Japan had the announcement of a remake of Atelier Marie. Uh, which is apparently quite possibly bound for foreign shores as well, making it the first... Already been announced. Already been announced. And just looking at the screenshots available on the Japanese side, I was like, okay... Got uh, some nice updated graphics for the workshop. Okay, some nice upgraded uh, graphics for the dialogue. Oh, gathering stuff in the field. Wait a moment. Atelier Marie did not have a field to gather in. Mm. Yep. This is probably being made on, like, Ryza's technology. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a lot, a lot more chibi style, so it's it definitely looks a lot closer to, the, I mean... Like yeah, it doesn't look like it's completely with a bit of like Saga Frontier in there for that you know that mm. kind of style. Um, looks better than Saga Frontier ever did. But um, then yeah, it's um, I'm like, okay, so you know what? I was kind of correct. It's like if they were going to do it, they would have to completely up, uh, remake and upgrade it, and they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not in the direction anyone would have necessarily expected. I mean, it's interesting because it is it is kind of true to the original graphics, strangely enough, mm. uh, but while being completely different. And I like her outfit's to, a lot hornier. Yep, and I would have to note <laughs> that, you know, um, Gust has a very long-standing tradition of, like, making one game in a series and then recycling the base engine for as long as humanly possible. I do feel so, like if, they, if they're doing Marie, they'll probably do the other Salford games, at least the second one. I was going to say, if they're doing Marie, they're certainly doing Ellie, they're probably doing Lily, and you know what, they could probably take this engine and go straight through Judy and, and uh, Violet as well. Hmm. They're, they they're very similar. <laughs> yeah, all, I mean, technically, Judy and Violet were quite a bit different from the first ones because, you know, you could walk around and explore areas and gather things. <laughs> hey, the thing they added to the engine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, they've actually made Marie more like Judy and and Violet now. Um, so, yeah, after Violet, that's when the Iris trilogy started. Mm. So probably have that would actually take us right that. back to the, all the ones that we haven't gotten. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, from what I have seen of the screenshots, they could legitimately be planning the first five games of the series as complete remakes. Mm. And if 
and if I'm a very good boy, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a prediction to say that they won't just so that they can prove me wrong here. But if they happened to uh, remake um, Atelier for Two and um, the Game Boy Advance game as well, Mary Elianis, <laughs> I would be really happy because then that would be seven games and a complete over-series for Salbert. Nice. Yeah, wow, that'd be wild. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, Atelier for Two is a... I mean, it was not made by Gust. They hired someone out, someone else out to do that one, but it's technically a direct sequel to Telly Ellie. Hmm. And then Murray Ellie Annis takes it from there on the Game Boy Advance. Hmm. So if you were doing one, you would, if you were doing that one, you would have to do the other one. I mean, not necessarily, because I mean, I've I've never seen a copy of Atelier for Two. What is it even I, for? I, I just looked it up on Amazon just for giggles the other night just to see, and it's listed as completely out of stock, but you know what? Here's a price quote of 17,000 yen and up. Oh, Lordy. Oh, that's, that's uh, um, it's a that's lot. $170. <laughs> it's about a, oh, let's see, um, yen. Oh, with current exchange range, probably closer to more like 130 or 140. Right? Yeah, let's see here. Um, Seventeen five hundred. So, um, one hundred thirty-two dollars. Okay. Yeah. What is that for? <laughs> Underswan. Oh, oh of, course. of course it is. Yes, of course it is. Um, it's one of the handful of completely original and non-anime side game um, items available on Wonderswan. Yeah, it's got one of the highest price quotes ever for that. It's like that, whatever Square was putting out, and whatever Bondi controlled. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. The Game Boy Advance game is a much more reasonable. It's. See, last time I bothered to look, it was five thousand, so about thirty-eight dollars. Yeah, that's that's you know that's not something you're buying casually if you just see it in the shop. It's like we spent that much on a GBA game at this stage, but if you're looking for it, it's not like breaking the bank. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I would like to point out that it is quite a bit more than I actually paid for it, because hmm. I found I got it in the bargain bin of a Deo Deo back in 2006 because all the stores in my area were unloading their Game Boy Advance games. Hmm. That makes sense. It's like, yeah, this is one of the few games I have ever owned where I can honestly say it's worth more now than it was when I bought it. <laughs> the only one that I still own. So. Naturally. Yeah, because, I mean, I wasn't really doing anything with Shanti and, you know, <laughs> I, I really could use uh, You made a pretty penny on that, I'm sure. Ooh, that's the only, like, um, a thousand percent profit <laughs> on that one. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that was the great one. It was like, okay, I'll just put it in for this much to start with, and let's say I buy it and now for two hundred dollars. And guess how much time elapsed between me uh, between the timestamp of me getting the email saying I had posted this on eBay and the timestamp of somebody buying it? Two minutes. Six minutes. Sixteen and a half, but close. Put them together, and we've got the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's one of the many exciting things that came out of that Nintendo Direct. Uh, yes, there was on a Tuesday. Lot. 
like there's laser targeted at us. Fantasy life. Yeah. Yeah, fantasy like, life. I, level five still existing was mildly surprising. They yeah. came out with three games on that. I mean, I'll play. Yeah. I'll play fantasy life, but I was more just happy to see that level five logo because they've been. Uh, Shall we say quiet in, in, in recently? State, they've been in a state of suspended animation for like three years, at least in the U.S. Yeah, but I mean, the fact that they still own... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Never mind. Um, or did they finally lose? Okay, it looks like somebody else finally bought the naming rights to the soccer stadium in Fukuoka. That makes sense. That is a lot of money to spend on something. <laughs> They held on to it for the better part of two decades. Yeah, which is wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, 10, 10 years, 2009 to 2019. Hmm. Yeah. Which is right around when they started losing money hand over fist, so. Yeah. Yeah, Snack World never really caught on. That was a couple years ago. Yeah, their whole thing kind of relied on, like, once one of their franchises for kids starts going down the tube that needs to be replaced by something else, and they finally hit a snag where it didn't. Yeah, um, yeah. actually, three years ago, next week was when Snack World re released. Oh. <sighs> Rough times. So, um, and they, they were trying hard for the last three years to sell that, and it just didn't... I mean, it's got some. I mean, it's got a decent rating on Amazon Japan. Yeah, it just it didn't. It evidently did not catch on with kids the way that a lot of their like Inazuma or Yokai watched it, and that was kind of where yeah. their business lied. Yeah, the the tie-in anime only lasted fifty episodes. Yep, that is definitely how much it was ordered for. It will last one year. We will make another more is successful. More was not successful. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I mean. I mean, I would say lightning in a bottle, but they ma they actually did manage it twice with Inazuma Eleven and Yokai Watch. Yeah, they were kind of reliant on being able to do that again, and that's yeah. that did not work and, out. And I will note that in the most wanted um, questionnaires for Famitsu Weekly magazine, their game Ushiro is still hovering <laughs> around number two, most wanted, most requested. On the, on the questionnaire or I am not quite sure how many years at this point. Remember how many years ago that Yokai Watch 4 was announced for English release? Yeah, that ain't coming out. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just talking yeah. wheels now. Yeah, um, I mean, sad, but I, mean I, I, I remember commenting on this a couple years ago. It was like, okay, I'm not sure why, but there's a PSP game on request for Switch on the questionnaire thing and uh, there's like 500 really diehard fans who keep writing it in every single month. Hmm. It's hilarious. It's like it's stable at number two. Just, there's just like a handful of people that if you ask them what game they want to play, they always respond with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they actually announced three games of that. Because they also announced a new Professor Layton, which... We'll see how that turns out. The guy who did most of the riddles for the Professor Layton games people that liked has been dead for many years at this stage. And uh, a new RPG called Deca Police, which, if you know anything about Japanese, that's basically called Cop Cop. <laughs> yep, yep. 
Cup cup. Dynamite Deck is the greatest video game. But um it's it's the main reason we got to have not Bruce Willis in Project Cross Zone. Yep. Started out as a diehard game. Uh did not have a diehard license in Japan, so we got uh Bruce Willis repla replaced with the suspiciously similar Bruno Dallinger. And the rest is history. Damn it. Now all I can do is picture Haru from um, Persona 5 Strikers saying, we don't like the cop cops. <laughs> Good times. Uh, I, need to, yeah, I was... need to make that a gift somehow. Damn it. Uh, but yeah, Deca Police looked like a neat little uh, RPG that sort of has like the investigative elements that have been cropping up more and more. Uh, in various uh, adventure-adjacent games over the past few years. Looked neat. And Professor Layton looked like Professor Layton. They showed basically nothing other than there's going to be more Professor Layton, we promise. It's not It's not Mafia. It's not Werewolf. <laughs> uh, let us all remember Layton 7 and then stop remembering Layton 7. <laughs> Which one is that? Layton 7 was an announced but unreleased uh, cell phone game that uh, used the exact rule set of, uh, like, party game Mafia slash Werewolf. Oh, God. Absolutely baffling. Uh, but, yeah. But that's hardly all that was at that Nintendo Direct. There's a lot. I need to pull up a list of things. There's I'm Pikmin 4. I'm still not sure what all of was on there. Yeah, there's Pikmin 4. That looked cute. That's out in July. Um, yeah, but that's an RTS, see. and we're notoriously anti-RTS here. This actually looked way less like an RTS than the other ones. Cause you had shit like kind throwing did, your yeah. Pikmin onto a big dog, and then the dog would help you get across gaps and shit. Yeah. Dog <laughs> Pikmin. No, just a regular dog. Well, not a regular dog, but a dog that you threw Pikmin at. Dog, um, A dog-adjacent thing. I almost yeah, replaced the it, P with a D for Pikmin and said that word. Pog? No. How Poggers Dick, are Dickman. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But, yeah. Uh... But, yeah, that was, that was what they let off with with Pikmin 4 that hasn't really stayed in July. It looks cute. Um... see I kept like an actual just list of what was in it oh lord uh, <laughs> it's just a it lot a of... okay there we go I found a list I found a list we're free uh, okay so there's a bunch of uh... let's see The um... oh yeah yeah okay so we got why is it doing this to me why is my life like this um is what you choose of it yeah yeah I suppose uh just quickly trying to marshal my thoughts because this is actually rather hard to just find a thing that says what was in it. Um, but we got uh, okay. Um, so we got a remaster of Metroid Prime that yes. is out already. 
I have and played it. It is freaking gorgeous. Allegedly, they've been sitting on this for quite a while and just haven't released it. So I would imagine that they're building up to Metroid Prime 4 sometime at the end of this year or the beginning of next. Yeah. Of course, they've got Etrian Odyssey 1, 2, and 3 HD remaster. Yeah, that's wild. That was something that the second I saw that, it's like, oh, just for wheels. Yeah. As, as I was remembering a conversation I saw, I did not participate in this one, but just last week saying <sighs> someone saying that, oh, they were never ever going to re-release these things because of the uh, touchpad stuff. I'm like, okay, uh, at least somebody else out on the internet was as wrong as I was. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, the way it looked like they were doing the mapping actually just makes sense. Yeah, it, it turns kinda... out that you can just put it on the side of the screen. Yeah, it turns out when you have a widescreen display, you kind of have room to work and with. And the game that was designed for essentially 4x3 almost yeah. portrait. Yeah, that's why I'm hoping that this will lead to, you know, the Saga and DS games coming out. It's not impossible. There's, we're seeing more companies with an appetite to try to see what they can do with DS games, because DS games were immensely popular, so... And they're very hard to play now, so you've got all sorts of license to just re-release them. Speaking of Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective. Oh yeah, I saw that here. I'm just looking down the Dengeki website right now. That's in yeah. Kaitos. Yeah, that okay, I have I have a bone to pick with Botan Kaitos. So Botan Kaitos is being released as Botan Kaitos one and two HD remaster. And I don't know which is one and which is two. No, that's right, because one was the prequel, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, because it's Botan Kaitos Eternal <laughs> Winds of the Lost Ocean and then Botan Kaitos Origin, which yeah, is a prequel. They were never which called of, one in, two. This, in what universe, which of these are you calling one and which of them are you calling two? Yes. Let's see. Um, okay, so it's like Botan Kaitos, Awaranai, Tsubasatova, the, the Never Ending Wings and the Lost Sea. Yeah, Eternal Wings and the Lost Ocean is what they called that in the US. And and then Baton Kaitos 2, Hajimaru no, the Wings of Origin and Gods of, or something of the gods. Yeah, that was just called Origins in the U.S., so I guess Origins okay, so is considered 2. 2 is Origins. Okay. Even though it's a prequel. <laughs> Whatever. Though, um, I mean, Lufia too. It's true, it's true. It's just one of those things where, like, neither of them ever had a number attached to it in English, so it was very briefly confusing. Well, apparently they do in Japanese, go figure. Um, mm -hmm. It's like Breath of Fire There will 5, be... You know. the, English, the English dub track is not being included, but they're including a bunch of other stuff to make things qu the quality of life better, so... And, and uh, also, uh, those games are kind of expensive. No English. <laughs> yeah, and I just sold them recently, and now they're going to dip in price. I feel good about that. <laughs> Worked out well for me. Yeah. But I'm not going to let Ghost Trick just get just slide on by without me rhapsodizing about Ghost Trick because Ghost Trick is a wonderful, wonderful little adventure game made by the director of the uh, first four Ace Attorney games as well as the Daigyak Tensaibon great Ace Attorney games. Uh, and it's a great little one-off that has... Uh, a similarly charming story, but a much more gamey structure where it's split into stages, where the premise is that you are a ghost who is sort of trapped in sort of a time loop and you're trying to prevent the murders of other characters by interacting with your environment and haunting it 
to uh, prevent these deaths from happening. And it's got great art. It, ha it was primarily in 3D, but it's in very like clean 3D that's going to upscale really well in HD. Uh, it has a great soundtrack, it has an incredibly charming cast of characters, a fun story, and it uh, is coming out on everything, so please, please, please play it. <laughs> Samba de Amigo. Yeah, that series hasn't shown up since the Wii. Uh, yeah. Samba de Amigo. I already knew that um, the uh, infamous All Your Bases Are Belong to Us game is coming out. Oh, Zero Wing? That's been out on uh, Switch Online for a while. Uh, okay. But, yeah, Samba de Amigo uh, is a Dreamcast maraca-shaking rhythm game. And, mm -hmm. honestly, Joy-Cons just make perfect sense for uh, how that should work, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, the last time that the series uh, had a release, it was on the Wii, which also made sense. But... Mm -hmm. The Joy-Con's ability to, one, not be tethered to each other, and two, uh, detect where they are to some extent in 3D space makes them even more suited to do some, to do a Samba de Amigo game, so uh, that should be fun. Uh, please uh, include a real Big Fish track like you did on the 1999 Dreamcast game. Uh, please and thank you. Um, Shikigami no Shiro 2. Castle Shikigami 2? Did that show up in the Japanese one? That was in the American I, I don't one. know. It's just, I'm just looking down the Dengeki Online news page, so I'm not sure if this was included on that or not, but just right here, hmm. um, yeah, Shikigami Castle, or Shikigami's Castle 2 for Switch on April 13th. Huh. I think that might be that might be part of the Shoe Triggers uh, line that uh, M2 does. But let's see. So I'm looking at other things that were... Licensed by Alpha System. Oh, hello. Okay. No, no huh, can't believe they're still alive. Um, I mean, they're still there. Okay. pass by their office sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you've got Octopath Traveler 2 demo. That's out. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. I don't want to go on to that yet. That's a bit too big. Uh, Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp has a release date again. <laughs> Yeah, because the last uh, one was just a little unfortunate. Yeah, so it's currently scheduled for April. Uh, that'll be fun. Very excited for that. Um, let's see. Uh, Odyssey, Stars, Kirby Return to Dreamland Deluxe. More information on the Xenoblade 3 and uh, Fire Emblem Engage uh, DLC plans. Announcement of a Splatoon 3 DLC plan, or Mario Kart 8 tracks. Uh, oh, this is the thing that matters to me, me personally. We love Katamari Reroll. Oh, yeah, Katamari's uh, back. I like the name. It's, uh, you, you would. You would. <laughs> uh, we love Katamari is the crown jewel of the franchise. Uh, every game released after it is some flavor of not very good. Um, you've got Me and My Katamari, which was on PSP and is both not really adding anything to the game and has terrible controls because it's on PSP and it's a game built around dual analog sticks. Uh, you have Beautiful Katamari on Xbox 360 that adds nothing and is just sort of charmless. You have Katamari Forever on PS3 
which is half a port of Beautiful Katamari and half, here's some levels from the previous games you liked better. There's a decent soundtrack remix, but not much else of worth in that package. And then a handful of spin-offs of extremely dubious quality, like uh, I Heart Katamari, which was a tilt-based uh, iPhone game that hasn't been playable in like a decade. And uh, Touch My Katamari on Vita, which is just trash. So We Heart Katamari, once that's out, Katamari 1 and 2 rerolls are basically all the Katamari anyone will ever need. They're wonderful, wonderful games with wonderful, wonderful soundtracks. Please play them. I know that Wheels is a heathen and does not like them, but okay. I haven't really given them the fairest of chances, so... You, you just you just try. need to let rolling into your heart. I should, I should probably roll harder. You should. Okay, Mr. Sunshine. The music is red. It's it's yeah. If if nothing else, go listen to the soundtracks. Both of them, all of them, really have wonderful soundtracks. But especially the first two. Uh, who is the one that my my personal favorite Katamari track is a track from the first one called Kesara Sara, uh, and the person who sang it. God, who is that? Because it's one of those things. He's got an extraordinary. He's it's sung in English, but it's a Japanese guy with an extraordinarily, uh, an extraordinarily lounge singery sort of voice. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, Charlie Kose. That's a name that I've definitely heard in uh, association with some things up to and including he sang the very first Loop on the Third theme. Which uh, not not a famous not the famous one that shows up in a lot of later Lupins because Lupin the Third Part Two was popular, but the uh, very very first one that was partially the per first series that was not popular and partially directed by Hayao Miyazaki, um, also known for singing a Japanese translation of the song Secret Agent Man. So you know, fun time, very lounge singer. But let's see. Um, what else have we got here that mattered? Because uh, there's a lot of stuff that's like, oh, that's neat. The Danganronpa guy is doing another investigation-y sort of game called Master Detective Archives. That could be neat. Uh, but beating around the bush a little, they added two more systems to Nintendo Switch Online. Uh the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. Yay! Hooray! Uh, finally, you can play Alone in the Dark, the new nightmare for Game Boy Color, anywhere you dream of. The sky's the limit. Come on, clap. Yay! <laughs> Someone has to clap. That, that game is incredibly funny to see on this list of games, because you got all these, like, actual classic Game Boy games. You got Tetris, you got Mario Land 2, you've got Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, you got Gargoyles Quest, Game Watch Gallery 3, Metroid 2, Wario Land 3, Kirby's Dreamland, and then Alone in the Dark, the New Nightmare. Uh in Japan they got a Mahjong game instead of Alone in the Dark the New Nightmare. I don't know who made out worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think still they, us. They, no, Alone in the Dark, the new Nightmare on GBC is bad, but it's extremely funny. Oh, like, that's okay. the thing. 
it's 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 not a good game but it's really really weird and really really funny um but yeah so we've got that and what else was there here uh they they showed like a list of upcoming games that showed like uh oracle of ages oracle of seasons uh you know th things that you would expect to see i think the most interesting was that i think in the reel of games that are currently upcoming was uh kirby tilt and tumble which has never been re-released mm. uh because it is gyroscope controlled <laughs> it was released on game boy color with a weird uh like gyroscope built into the cartridge and, and then never has been re-released in any capacity. But, you know, the Switch is absolutely capable of doing that, so, I mean, no reason not to, but, you know, it's interesting, because it's, it's just, it was well-liked at the time, it reviewed very well, I've never had the chance to play it, I've never seen a copy of it, and, you know, pretty late Game Boy game, so, it'll be interesting to finally play it. Um, especially on a screen that is not built on reflected light in order to be able to see what's happening on it. Uh, Better. One thing I do want to bring up about the... <laughs> God, this is, this is beautiful. This was very stupid. Um, so if you go into the Game Boy uh, emulation on the Switch, you have the usual slate of options for how it should be presented. And uh, one of them is uh, a option to, uh, I forget how it's exactly worded here, but it basically is to try to, uh, to try to emulate the look of the original Game Boy screen. Uh, let's see if I have, uh, where? Okay, we've got... Okay, I've popped into settings. Uh, reproduce classic feel is how it describes it, and what that does is it takes the original Game Boy-like style, darkens it because you wouldn't be able to see it very well, and then emulates the horrible screen ghosting on the original Game Boy. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not I mean, sure that's granted, an experience like, I want like back. <laughs> I, I'm thinking it's kind of like some of the Super Famicom games where if you actually have it, an emulation on a really nice monitor now, it doesn't look as good because graphic sprites were designed to accommodate for the lack of screen quality originally. There's, there's some weird st stuff about color bleed being used to hide or at least lessen the effects of things like dithering. Uh, yeah. I think this is mostly being done for novelty because I can't think of a single Game Boy game. Like, it, it's really hard to, even though the Game Boy screen was standardized, it's really hard to actually use what it's doing because I believe the original Game Boy had a passive matrix screen. Uh, if you've ever used a passive matrix screen to do anything, you know that that means that the second anything starts moving, the entire thing turns into a blurry morass. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's about right. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a passive matrix screen. Uh, if you were born after like 1995, there's a 
fairly good chance you've never actually seen anything new as a passive matrix display. <laughs> it's uh, it's a technology people were glad to be rid of. Uh, but they, they have attempted in some sense to allow you to sort of see what Game Boy games look like. And you can set them to, to be run like they would look on the Game Boy Color, or I think even what they looked like on the Super Game Boy. Uh, cool. Or at least the color palettes for things like Metroid 2 seem to actually function. Uh, but oh, you can set them good. to also look like the pocket. Um, well, if they got Super, Met Super Game Boy settings in there, I hope when they get to things like Donkey Kong is it 92... 94. 94. And the few other games like that where it's got like special borders if you play it on Super Game Boy. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see those in emulation. Yeah, that'd be nice. It's very rare that those ever come back. But yeah, I don't, nice. I don't think they had that on the 3DS, did they? They did not. Yeah, I didn't think so. It's a shame. There's some, there's some really weird stuff that got done in the Super Game Boy. Uh, also, hello in chat, favorite... Budai. He's got a question for us, but we'll see. Maybe die. I think bit. my favorite thing that got done with. Uh, uh, but what I was going to say about uh, the the uh, Super Game Boy, uh, the weirdest thing that ever got done with it was the Space Invaders Game Boy port, which, if put into a Super Game Boy, allowed you to select an entirely different Super Nintendo port of Space Invaders. That's weird. <laughs> I suppose the answer is not a lot of space being taken up by any version of the original Space Invaders. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, and for those that have the Switch Online expansion pack, they have added Game Boy Advance games. Yay! Starting with Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Brothers 3, which is much like the Wii U version, hacked to include all of the e-card levels, but uh, in a way that you could not actually get them to function on the original DBA. It was not possible for the cartridge to hold all of the e-card levels at once. Oh. Uh, yep, it would. It could hold like 20. There were like 40 actually made. So if you wanted to play all of them, you had to scan some and finish them, and then scan other ones and replace them. That sounds uh, horrible. Also, not all of them were even released in the U.S. at the time. Uh, so, they, they, this is it, it's very nice that this will be included. Previously, this was the last time that this was officially done. Uh, there was it was the Wii U release of Super Mario Advance Four, Super Mario Bros. Three, uh, WarioWare Incorporated, Mega Micro Games. That game is always a good time. It's a great. It's probably some of the best three hours you'll have all year. Give it a shot. Um, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga that's the best of those games as far as I'm concerned so that's pretty good Mario Kart Super Circuit eh, it's probably the weakest Mario Kart statistically speaking if you own a Switch you own a better Mario Kart yeah uh, but hey it's there yeah I um, mean I, just on that I feel like there's so many courses at this point in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe that like kind of renders all the other ones moot except maybe double dash if that's your thing like me i feel like i should also point out that if you own if you can play mario kart super circuit on your switch that means that you own that you have switch online expansion pack which means that you can play the mario kart 8 booster courses which means mario kart 8 has even more courses yes 
Um, and it probably but... has like half the courses that are in <laughs> the GPA game too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've got uh, Zelda Minish Cap. That's a pretty good Zelda yeah. game. But, uh, I, I played that one a lot back in the day. That was a good one. Yeah. It was the it was the last of the Capcom partnership uh, Zelda games, and the uh, I believe the first directorial role of the guy who ended up directing Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild hmm. in terms of Zelda games. So I know it was he, sort of, small beginnings, like sort of connected to Wind Waker because it had a, the villain was connected to Wind Waker somehow. It was it was like Vati, I think, who was oh, used was in Four Swords. Uh, yeah, it was the Forest Swords villain, which is weird. Yeah, there's some there's some Forest Swords references going on in that game as well, in general, because there's also a point where you can like split Link into two yeah. to solve very specific puzzles. Yeah, it was an item that let you do it. Yeah, there's some other stuff that uh, like there's a Skyward Sword. There's a a tool that you use a lot in Skyward Sword, the Gust Bellows, that gets kind of its uh, predecessor in Minish Cap with the Gust Jar. I remember that uh, too, yeah. Yep. So yeah, you can sort of see the stuff that... Mm -hmm. You can sort of see the stuff that he cared about. Like, the the Capcom Zelda games are all good. Like, it's it's very hard to find a particularly bad Zelda game that was made with any real oversight from Nintendo. And the Capcom Zelda games Zelda are good. Two. Zelda 2 is fine. It's not what I want, but it's fine. Um, He's thinking of the. You're thinking of the actual Zelda Zelda games from whatever it was that were from a Russian animation studio. Yeah. Uh, non I think it was actually Eastern European, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, These Legend of Zelda. Cartoons, not necessarily good for Zelda. <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, the the weirdest thing on here. Uh, this was not actually released in the U.S. at the time, but Kuru Kuru Kururin which is uh, a very simple sort of, like, not bad, but it's, it's a simple sort of thing where you're, like, you're a rotating uh, bar that is being guided through a maze, and you're, like, trying to avoid touching walls. And it's it's a fun little I, timing I, puzzle I, game. I played that one years ago. Yeah. yeah. It was released in Japan and Europe, but never got an, an English release at the time. But it's, it's a cute little game. It's fun. Uh... And they announced some other games that will be coming in the future. They showed, like, Golden Sun, and uh, what's the... There's, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, Fire Emblem, some Fire Emblem games were shown as, like, these are coming soon to Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack for GBA. So it looks like you'll probably be able to get most of the GBA games that you care about on Switch fairly shortly. Uh, between that and the Mega Man collections. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's nice. Uh, my my I desire would be to end fail because I don't like them. Those GBA Fire Emblem games again. That'll be fun. I'll probably pr play at least a few of them. Um, and hey, you can you can make your own uh, casual mode by repeatedly <laughs> oh, <laughs> repeatedly right. save saving and looping back. What's that? Yeah, I guess you could technically do that. Yeah, so you can save state uh, to save yourself some heartache. Or I can just uh, engage with something else. It's true. <laughs> it's true, that's there, and that's very good. 
but you can play multiple fire emblems. It's okay to play more than one thing. But yeah, uh, it's fun to see both of those shadow drop after years of speculation at this point. Uh, I would like to see them reach into some weird deep cuts uh, for both systems. Uh, Things that Nintendo controls that just don't get re-released that often. Uh, Donkey Kong 94 was co-developed by a company called Paxsoftnica that has... Uh, that did another Game Boy puzzle game called Molemania that's pretty good. Um, as GBA games go, if they can convince uh, Konami uh, to let them attack the earthly remains of Hudson long enough to re-release something like Ninja 5.0, that would be nice. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's nice to see them re-release those. Uh, one of the nice things about the Switch Online and expansion pack line of classic games that you can put stuff that no one would ever pay for by itself on there. So that would be nice. Uh, and of course, this gives another vector for people to say, when is Nintendo releasing Mother 3? Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. God damn it. You fool. You uh... fool. Uh, the the rending of garments that will occur the second that someone that they you, release Mother if Three. If you care, you've already fucking played it. Just shut up. <laughs> the rending of garments that will occur when Mother Three is released on the Japanese Switch Online and not the English one will uh, will power us into a new age. But um, can we really afford to make use of such an energy source? It's infinite, so I mean that's something. Uh, but yeah, so yeah. That's, that... but, eh. who, who knows what toxicity that it spews into the atmosphere? But it's um, it's going to happen either way. We might as well harness it. Uh, but yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed that direct. It was full of old things, and I care about old things. I like old things, so I was happy. Um, things and new things. Yeah, strange things. Oh my. Budai says that Mega Man Battle Network collection is almost too much gaming. Yeah, I've been very happy with everything that they've done to make like the multiplayer on that actually function. Uh, and the idea of being able to actually play Battle Network with other people, having you know learned to like the series over the past couple years, it's like, oh, but I could never actually play it with anyone, because how? So that'll be nice. Um, yeah, that, that is a good point. This does kind of get rid of one of the biggest issues that most of the Game Boy Advance games had in that you were trying to put multiplayer in and you actually had to find somebody with the game. Yeah. Let's see, I've never actually played Metroid Prime. wonder if it holds up. By all accounts, yeah, yeah this is apparently yeah. a very good remaster of a game that still yeah. holds up. I fired it up. <laughs> That game's running like silky smooth, 60 frames per second. Feels completely natural dual analog it's like playing a game that was just released it's it's something else yeah and dual analog kind of fixes the only issue people had with the original version which is that it had a very it had a it had a control scheme that was very atypical of fps's even at the time and that was really mostly just to convince people that it did not play like other fps's yeah which it doesn't Uh, but yeah but the, the point being that like now that people already know what Metroid Prime is, it no longer needs to have that control scheme because people don't expect it to play like an FPS. So it's safe to actually have an FPS control scheme without yeah. people being confused about what it is. 
Yeah, but I think it's it's got a. They said it's got a bunch of control options, including like motion controls. If you enjoyed it, people really like the motion controls on the Wii games. They're so very good. Good to have as an option. But, but uh, I mean, just like Skyward Sword, it is nice to have options, even if they aren't always the most ideal. Yeah. So I I say all the control options possible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's... and of course we got a we got another. Uh, I should say before we depart the Nintendo Direct, we got another Tears of the Kingdom trailer. Yeah, and it looks wild. I saw, like, they showed multiple shots of Link riding around on extremely janky-looking vehicles that caused people to start speculating, are you able to make these? And I am not prepared for the nightmares that people will create <laughs> if there is an actual capacity to just make vehicles. Tears of the Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of Legend of Zelda nuts and bolts jokes from extremely nice. uh, online gamers everywhere. Um, that sounds about right. But yeah, uh, the, the kinds of nightmares that people will create that will instantly short-circuit like 90% of how the game is meant to be traversed yeah. the second that they get their hands on this will be a sight to behold. Yeah, but it, it looks, looks, looks incredible. Looks like it's all got all sorts of traversal with all the floating islands. There was floating islands and also a lot of just what appear to be underground caverns. Yeah. So, which, like, uh, in addition to much, if not all, of the uh, Breath of the Wild overworld, you've got the, the above the overworld and below the overworld. Yeah. <sighs> it's no, exciting. No, it looks dope, other than the lack of available copies for the collector's edition. Wheels uh, went briefly insane oh i did and i just i found i found a scalper on ebay that wasn't scalping by an extreme degree so it's like well i was prepared to pay around 200 dollars for this collector's edition anyway so I just, it's worth it to me to stop driving myself insane just, i don't know if anyone your, your sanity is worth the extra 50 bucks yes i don't know if anyone remembers me trying to get the freaking xenoblade chronicles 3 collector's edition but I remember trying to help you. Yeah, and I think you did. I think you eventually linked me when I, when I did actually get it. But yeah, it nice. was... Yeah, I mean, if I'm sure I could probably get it if I kept doing insane things. But it's simply not worth the time. It's, it's really not. And I, I just find it really frustrating for a franchise that is this huge that they're not making enough copies of that. Like, I... I I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm just spoiled by like uh, NIS, who, who has wonderful collector's editions that take a while to sell out. Order. And yeah. <laughs> and they, and since they're probably, a, and since they're like a smaller publisher, they probably have better protections against scalpers too. Cause I think it's, it's also just the, you're with Breath of the Wild. With Tears of the King, like the original Breath of the Wild, it was not actually that hard to get the collector's edition. No. Because you were competing with one million obsessive weirdos, as opposed to uh, Breath of the Wild 1 has sold like 30 million copies. So yeah. now, you're com uh, now you're fighting so many more people. And they probably uh, are making the same number of collector's editions. God damn it. 
It's fine. You'll get yours. Yeah. Um, it's secured so I can stop worrying about it. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall, I had fun. I'm still curious to play for Spoken for some reason. I'm sure that it will be cheap enough soon to sate your curiosity. Uh, the people that I know who have actually the people I know of who have actually played for Spoken and given it like given it the most honest chance they could came away with this was not very good. Um, so yeah, I mean, the kindest I just things would advise yeah the kindest, not paying too much for it. The kindest things I've heard is like. I wish everyone would shut up, but the combat's fun, and the quests are kind of fun. It's, it's like that. Like Generally what I hear is the art design is often quite flat or and dull. Like A lot of the areas are sort of uh, segmented, or sort of identified by their color grading rather than yeah. the interesting choices in the art design, which is kind of a big problem, because when you look at the previous game that Luminous Studio did, FF15, that game, one of its strong points is its extremely compelling art design it seems yeah. to have kind of fallen by the wayside in this one. Yeah, I feel bad because I saw a tweet from, like, the voice actor who plays the main characters like, super excited to see herself in the game. It's like... Yeah, it's, it's not lack of enthusiasm. She's doing what she can. The material yeah. just isn't very good. Yeah, no, I wouldn't blame it on her. Yeah, but I'll probably try it when it's cheaper. Yeah, when it's like twenty, thirty dollars, I'll yeah. probably mess around with it. That feels like the price that I would be fine with. Problem is that it launched at seventy. Yeah. As Speaking of, yeah, uh, Tears of the Kingdom is seventy dollars. Yes. I don't think anyone should be that surprised. No, and I honestly don't really care. I I would really like there to be more price variance in games. I, I feel like. Honestly, there should be. There's a lot of games where it's like this is a smaller experience. This would be good for this price. And I know there are some. There are, yeah, I know there are some that does exist to some extent. But you know, I think like Switch Switch Sports launched. Didn't that launch at sixty dollars? Did it? I don't know. I don't the thing know. I do know is that like the the non ultra premium stuff from Nintendo like. Uh... Uh, Pikmin 4 is a $60 game. It's not a $70 one, which yeah. seems to imply that like it's only their like most their largest scale top hitters that they're putting at 70. Which, um, it's it's fine. Like those games take longer to develop. They cost more to make. The other thing is, I would be a lot more incensed if it weren't for the fact that in the uh, wake of uh, being less profitable than expected in the past fiscal year, they announced that they would be paying their developers more. Mm. as a uh, incentive and retention thing so good. at least that money is going someplace that I would yeah. want it to go <laughs> uh, but yeah so that's where we're at um, How did see. we miss Budai asked us about Atomic Heart just to take a I barely know what Atomic Heart is, Heart is. isn't that the, <laughs> the Bioshock thingy is it? There's a lot of things. Studio, I think. I've seen a lot of like I've seen the name around a lot, but I've not kept track of what it was. Um, yeah, I'm... It's being developed by Mundfish, looks like. Uh, at least that's what I'm seeing here. Action RPG. It doesn't appear to be a Levine's studio because I'm not seeing okay. his name attached to it. 
but it does look like it's a sort of Bioshock-esque construction. I could I could see myself like it, it would depend very much on how it's reviewed, but yeah. like the the only game I really intend to purchase this month is like a Dragon Machine, so it'll have to be reviewed very well for me to prick up my ears for it. Yeah, I'm pretty tapped out at this point. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it could be neat. Yeah, keep an eye on it. Yeah. Uh, I like FPS RPGs. They tend to be interesting. But yeah, that's, that's the direct. Directs are fun. Did we get everything in the direct? Uh, almost. Uh, I think we briefly uh, glossed over Fantasy Life. I wasn't expecting that to yeah. be one of the things that Level 5 came back with. I haven't nope. played it yet, but they put out it a demo for... Um... Uh, Octopath Traveler 2? Yeah, I brought that up. Oh, you did? Okay. I just missed that. I forgot that that game was coming out this month. Yeah. It's a lot uh, coming out this month. Yeah, it's February. You're supposed to give me a break. Yeah. Instead, I just got hit with two Namco Bandai store pre-orders I forgot about. Which two okay. were these? Uh... Digimon World, which I bought from their store because I didn't think it was going to be available elsewhere. It's available on Amazon. It's Digimon World for the Switch, I should say. It's a no, I figured. Okay. In Still case, bad. No, in case any listeners were wondering. But yeah, I pre-ordered it from them because I didn't think it was going to be available anywhere else, which sucks because their shipping is expensive. And then it was available on Amazon. And then I figured out you can't cancel orders from their store. Yeah, learned that once upon a time. And the other was the Tales of Symphonia uh, special, not really a special edition, just like a steelbook edition. Edition, edition. Yeah. The edition to be an edition. Yes. There's that. Additional um, edition. There, now I'm remembering the the updated re-release of Dive Kick that was literally called Edition Edition. That was a good joke. Good on them. <laughs> Uh, oh, cop, cop. Deck of police, cop, cop. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, no, it's 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 a. I don't. I was not prepared for February to have things happening. Uh, did any of us care to talk about what we've been playing? We kind of launched directly into the direct. Uh, I can talk well, about what I've been, been playing, but you'll probably be mad at me. If it's Destiny, then I'm going to fall asleep right now, sir. Is, yes, I have okay. transcended to the end gamiest end game stuff in Destiny, and that is has the sweatiest name known to man, too Grandmaster Nightfalls. Uh, but yes, just ridiculously hard content. Uh, that I'm doing pretty decently at, so I don't know what that means. I guess I'm decent at this game or something. I don't know. You shouldn't be. Uh, Whatever. Yes, uh, Dragon a little behind <laughs> my Dragon Quest, but I will be playing a bunch of that this weekend. Speaking of dragons, I finished Dragon Age 3. Nice. Yay. And it's DLC. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, the Jaws of Hakon DLC is probably the best actual quest zone in that game in terms of like not main story quests, but just like here is a mini open world that you run around and has like uh, its own little plot that you can do as well as other side quests. Probably the best of those. Um, Trespasser is a very interesting setup for Dragon Age 4 that uh, it's kind of a shame how long it's taken them to follow up on it. Also, ha ha ha, they accidentally, while I was finishing that game, that someone accidentally leaked like 10 seconds of gameplay from Dragon Age 4. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, Podias, did you ever notice the similarities between Epic Ten Tales of Symphonia stories? I remember noting them before the game came out. <laughs> it was it was hard to escape. Something in the water at the time. Uh, okay, well, but they I'm go to places. My, so I'm yeah. still on my Team Blue run of Pokemon Sun. Nice. How's that going? Let's see. Um, let's see. Well, I, I, I just finally caught a Marini to add to the Team Blue. Mm -hmm. I forgot to uh, ask. That, are, are you playing the re the original or ultra? the original? Because I needed a couple hundred yen to round up to a, the nearest thousand for points on my point card at the uh. store. It was five hundred yen for the original Pokemon Sun. Nice. So um, yeah, like. My all-stars are, of course, my Primarina, my Gyarados, and my Snorlax. They tend to be. They're strong Pokemon. Yep. I'm just having fun looking at other stuff. So, like, I'm now I've got a Marini to train up. I've got a um, Ampardos now, <laughs> which is um, seeing how that works out. Crab Brawler. Uh, Crab and nice. I've got about 11 levels before my Shellgon actually evolves up to something more useful. Someday. Someday. Salamence is blue, too. It's true, it is. Uh, yeah, I think that catches us up on what we've been playing. Uh... When I finished Dragon Age Inquisition, I rolled straight into Jade Empire. That's been a weird thing to go back to. Yeah, I saw you playing that on Steam, and I almost sent you a message with just WTF. <laughs> what did you think the answer was going to Well, I knew the answer. It was just, I don't know. It felt, I wasn't expecting you to go backwards. <laughs> there was no forwards to go. I know, I know. Well, well. If we're, you're sticking with uh, strictly Bioware games, yes, there is. There was no forwards to go. <laughs> Are we clear? But their most recent game is still available to play. <laughs> There's no forwards to go. <laughs> okay. Are we clear? Yes, we're clear. <laughs> After that, I'll be doing the Mass Effect Legendary Editions if I still can muster the interest. And after that, I'll play the things that's supposed to swing the forwards to go, which would be Mass Effect 4. So, that's, uh, that's the plan. That's the bio plan. The wear plan. The bioware plan. That is your anthem. <sighs> I'd love to go beyond. Um, let's see. But yeah, uh... 
Jade Empire is an extremely... It feels like it was a game that you make to uh, teach people how to play a Bioware game of that era. Uh, it has a simplified stat structure, a simplified party system structure, a simplified combat system. And so you just sort of... You can introduce someone to a Bioware game of that era and just have the, the simplest version of that that still remains reasonably compelling. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, it's definitely got some weaknesses. Uh, also, it feels like an extremely, extremely uh, ill-considered game for a bunch of uh, primarily white Canadians to be making. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely got a very... Uh, we'll go with uh, the polite term... Uh, the the closest to polite term you would use that would be accurate would be uh, exoticizing uh, style to it. Mm. Okay. So it's uh, it's very much uh, the game that you would expect a bunch of people whose understanding of China was that they watched about two and a half wuxia movies, or maybe Kung Fu Panda. Also that, but it didn't exist at the time, so we'll say two and a half Wuxia movies. Uh, okay, so that's uh, Orientalism. Yeah, definitely Orientalism. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, if if someone told me that they found the game extremely insulting, I would say, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it is it is the game that it is. The people, people who worked on it, who have commented on it, say that it is very much a game that while they enjoyed working on it, it's not something that they think that they could or would make now because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I, I can't escape the fact that maybe I shouldn't have... Maybe we shouldn't have done this. Maybe we were not the people who should have been making this. But it's it's got its moments. Um, let's see. Uh, and, you know, uh, after that, I'll jumping into the Mass Effect Legendary Editions. It's been probably about 10 years since the last time I played Mass Effect 1. That's going to be a brutal reawakening. Mm. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, I've, I've played that rest recently when I was trying it on the Steam Deck. Yeah, I'll be... Uh, since the Legendary Edition is available via Game Pass Ultimate, that will be saving me some time. Uh, but yeah, so... That's what I've been playing, uh, slash been planning to play. Uh, let's hit some of Budai's questions. Uh, let's see. Is there a big difference between being cool and being interesting? Like, I always think that Dante, Bayonetta, or Kenshiro are cool, but maybe except Dante, I don't think they're that interesting characters. I think Bayonetta's pretty interesting, but you have to care a lot about Bayonetta's weird cosmology for why to really stand out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would, I would say that there's definitely a difference between being cool and interesting. Uh, certainly also by virtue of the fact that you can reverse it the other way and say that there are plenty of interesting characters who are by no stretch of the imagination cool. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the... <laughs> One of the things I would think of immediately for a character who is the antithesis to cool, but is nonetheless interesting, would be someone like Travis Touchdown from No More Heroes, who's just an abject loser. 
Uh, but he remains interesting for being just such a piece of shit. Um, but yeah, uh, I would say that like, uh, and you can certainly make a character who is cool but uninteresting on the basis of as long as they're not the one who has to carry the drama. Uh, like, uh, that's certainly why, like, a lot of times the quote-unquote cool character in a show or a movie or a game will be the one you are that your character as a character idolizes or is rival to rather than the character you play at. Uh, so... Or the character that the story directly follows. So it's uh, it's definitely you know the, the you you end up being having to be careful about how much of the drama the quote unquote cool character has to carry because at some point they either prove themselves they they often because of how they're constructed to be cool they prove themselves to be some form of dramatically inert or uh, the uh, fact that they have to shoulder the drama punctures their capacity. Which isn't to say it's an impossible tightrope to walk, it's just one that not a lot of media really can manage, so you end up with that. Um, let's see, uh, we're getting some fighting game based questions. What are some non fighting game titles which have combat feels more like fighting games such as Mortal Kombat, Mythology, Sub Zero, and Mad Stalker? Man. Going for the deep cut there. I mean, uh, the, the RPGs that have like beat em up mechanics as the main battle system work count as well. I suppose you could, although I think there's asking specifically for fighting games. So uh, I, I would honestly, there, there are some weird combinations of beat em up and fighting game, but they're extremely, uh, not beat em up, but RPG and fighting game, they're extremely weird. I know one of them was like based on the the Kuroke anime. It's oh a tactical yeah. Tactical game, tactical game with um, with side view um, fighting battles. Yeah, you saw that a bit way back in the day with uh, what's this thing called? Uh... Let's see, it's like. Yeah, I think I'm thinking of, like, Archon, which is a real, real old, uh, like, Electronic Arts published, uh, like, computer game for things like the Amiga. Uh, yeah, you get, uh, because, like, it's basically chess, except that when two pieces collided, it was not the piece that made the move automatically ends the piece that did not make the move you suddenly have like fight but it's like since this game is from like 1983 it's a very very simplistic proto fighting game mm -hmm. uh, but yeah you, you would see this kind of thing this this sort of went away uh, nowadays I think you're more likely to see RPG uh, fighting games with RPG elements rather than uh, or other genres trying to incorporate fighting game into them, just because 
it's so easy to create something that is essentially non-functional. Like one of the examples he's citing is fucking uh, Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero, which is a platformer with a button to turn around. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> um, fighting games are too in intricate and contextualized to very easily, to smoothly integrate into other genres. You end up uh, with some very uh, less than desirable gameplay combos. Uh, I think the closest you get is stuff like character action games are kind of where that uh, ended up going, where you have like the depth of combat mechanics of a fighting game, but you know, recontextualized and resuited to be very specifically set up to function like single player. Because like you know when you when you do a character action game, like fighting games always have to, are, are meant to be balanced. So you run into this situation where it's like, they have really complex systems governing things like, okay, a character's been hit, hitting them again, how much less damage does it do? Like the uh, Street Fighter damage scaling tends to go something like 100%, 100%, 80%, 70%, 60%, and on and on and on until it gets down to 10% and below. Uh, or uh, juggle properties. Uh, which, again, I'll use Street Fighter as an example. Uh, there's a few different kinds of juggle properties that a move can have, which basically determines whether you're allowed to still hit the enemy in the air with this move after... Uh, and it's basically it's designed to stop... Uh, to stop you from being able to just juggle someone inf infinitely until they die. Um, and a lot of the feel of fighting games is because of aspects of how they are designed to be semi-symmetrical and uh these these other genres typically are not multiplayer focused or do not have this uh, or might not have any multiplayer at all and so suddenly a lot of the things that are artifice of the nature of a competitive genre they sort of end up falling by the wayside by nature because you end up with uh you know gameplay that they, they don't help gameplay. You don't want to play a Devil May Cry game where every one of your attacks does less damage after the first one until you let the enemy sit down. Or uh, once you've knocked an enemy into the air, only a couple of your attacks will actually keep them there. That, that all goes away uh, in any uh, game that takes inspiration from fighting games but doesn't actually play like a fighting game in a modern context. Fantasia comes to mind. What's Fantasia? Also, Fantasia actually had a an item that allowed you to instead of um, doing um, instead of just triggering attacks, you could actually play the the actual battles like a fighting game. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if later Tales games did that. I just remember Tales of Fantasia had this. Oh yeah. Um... You you could the the fighting game the the, the mechanics of. Tales games have generally erred more towards being actiony, but like they they follow the same thing that like Devil May Cry does, where it's like when you uh, they a lot of the things that you would put in for quote unquote competitive balance, which are things like uh, striking out, uh, you know, a very different sort of combo and juggle system. Those those immediately are what happens with the later Tales games. Let's see. Um, the newest ones don't even have MP anymore, or TP, I think it was. 
It was TP, and yeah, they don't. And they're, they're better for it. Um, let's see. Uh, let's hit some more of these that are probably more in my ballpark than anyone else's. Uh, what game was responsible for Capcom ending any ambition to make 3D fighting games? I always think the failure of Star Gladiator has something to do with it. I mean, it's probably like a combination of things. Street Fighter EX never really took off. Uh, rival schools had a couple uh, attempts, but never went anywhere. Uh, Plasma Sword Nightmare Bill Stein didn't really go anywhere. Like, it's just a lot of different things where it's, it's not that they're... Like, the thing that killed it was not any one of these games, I think. It's just that the, there was, they never had a hit 3, 3D fighting game, and the fighting game genre was rapidly contracting in the early aughts. So, you know, eventually just the idea of we need a 3D fighting game goes away, because at that point, they don't need any fighting games. They're not interested in making fighting games. There's, a, there's like an eight-year gap between uh, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike and Street Fighter 4. Uh, so... Just think... about everybody was trying out to do 3D fighters. I mean, there was uh, Bloody Bloody Roar. There was... Uh, Those are all Shadow late Fire. 90s things. Those yeah. are all late 90s, though. Uh... Not all of them, but um, you know, a maximum impact, which I know is banned. Oh, that game sucks shit. Um, I like that game. Shut up. The hell is maximum I'm sorry impact. that you like King of Fighters Maximum Impact. They yeah. took King of Fighters and they gave it to one of the they let one of the artists, Falcon, uh, do a handful of interesting designs and a handful of dog shit designs and then make a really bad 3D fighting game. And then for some reason they realized that people would not buy a Maximum Impact 2, so they pretended that Maximum Impact 2 was a mainline one and called it King of Fighters 2006. Hmm. Uh, but let's see. Uh <laughs> Uh, I mean, in general, I think almost every... And the problem comes in with 3D fighters is because of the fact, once you put a fighter into a 3D space, the matches become very hard to control. I'm not, I'm not convinced they're a great deal harder to control than in 2D, but the a lot of things that work in 2D just don't work in 3D, which is why one of the reasons yeah. that... Yeah, one of the reasons that Street Fighter Cross Tekken happened and Tekken Cross Street Fighter never did was that Street Fighter Cross Tekken, the Tekken characters still work in 2D. But if you put Ryu in 3D, suddenly one of the cores of his moveset, throwing a Hadouken at you, means nothing. You walk, you step slightly to the side, it misses entirely, and nothing has changed about the match state. Uh, so... You know, that was considered essentially an insurmountable problem. Uh, along with a number of other factors as to what was going wrong with Tech and Cross Street, Street Fighter that kept that game from ever happening. Uh, but well, the 3D designs work fine. It's just doing it in a 3D the gameplay, space. The gameplay, the gameplay environment uh, just completely changes how the game has to function. But... Yeah. Uh, see. Um, but yeah, like I think that like there was there was a period in the late '90s where 3D was on the rise and fighting games were still considered to be a healthy genre, where the assumption was that fighting games needed to be in 3D. But no game really made a clean transition to 3D. 
there were new 3D fighters that became popular, like Tekken and Virtua Fighter. And there were uh, 2D fighters that continued to be popular, like the Street Fighter Alpha games. But there were no, like, none none of the fighting games that were popular in 2D made a successful 3D installment. And there was no real impetus to make 3D fighters 2D, so you just ended up with like the cl- the closest you saw to a game that really tried to become 3D was Mortal Kombat, and that tried it for like four straight installments. And now that they don't try to do that anymore, no one wants to talk about those games anymore. Uh, it's really become an apples and oranges situation. Yeah, they they've evolved to be very different things. There's some there's some other attempts at this. Uh, Fatal Fury Wild Ambition. That game's not very good. Um, there's uh, Samurai Showdown 64 Warriors Rage that was ported. No, that was kind of ported, but not really to PS1 at some point. It was originally a Hyper Neo Geo 64 game. You've never seen a Hyper Neo Geo 64. They were not popular, and there's only six <laughs> Hyper Neo Geo 64 games. Wow. Uh, and some of them are like the. They're. they're they're like, there's like a light gun game you've never heard of called uh, Beast Buster. You might have heard of its uh, Neo Geo Pocket Color spinoff, Dark Arms Beast Buster 1999, but you've never seen Beast Buster. Uh, there's uh, Bariki heard, One. Heard that name once, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, there's Bariki One, which is uh, fascinating for being the potentially canonical last thing in the uh art of fighting series because it features an older version of the art of fighting uh protagonist uh protagonist having taken up his father's mantle and become mr karate 2 mm-hmm. uh freaky one is kind of neat because that it's a uh... awesome. what's that that is that name mr karate 2 is just an awesome name let's just say that yeah, no, I'm not here to pretend that isn't the case. Bariki One is an interesting fighting game also because it's one of those handful that is uh, like tournament martial arts rules. Like, you aren't beating your opponent to reach an end of their health bar. You're you're fighting for points. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Bariki One's actually a pretty decent game, but of course no one's played it because it's Cyber Neo Geo 64. Yeah. So, uh, Budai, uh, uh, Budai asked in, um, chat something so just so we don't lose track of that yeah what's the best game based on an anime magic knight ray earth thank you that's up there um, uh, the the frog yeah i was gonna say you're about to say tales of frog no, yeah so he, yes i haven't tried the i haven't played the sergeant frog one i think there's a translation out for it um the fairy, the fairy tale rpg is also very good mm-hmm. that was like us right yep yeah, that was, I guess. Is it better than the TV series? Um, it condensed um, <sighs> a very large portion <laughs> of the TV series down to 30 hours. Decent <laughs> way of experiencing that, I'm sure. Yeah, um, so it, it's like... Like, the first two, two or three arcs are before the game, but it sums it up. And then the last arc is after the game. So all that period in between, which is the Dragon Tournament, the um, Celestial Wizard stuff, the Tartarus stuff, there, there's a whole num- number of it. You know, I, I basically got 
like seven seasons worth of anime down to thirty hours of game time. I'm like, hey, I could I could live with that. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel about uh, Pirate Warriors Three, condensing a bunch of One Piece to a more palatable form. My uh, my dark horse candidate for this would actually be uh, Fist of the North Star: Lost Paradise, uh, which is just it's just Yakuza, but <laughs> Fist of the North Star. Two great tastes that go great together. Yeah. I, just, I remember seeing the videos for that and like the the ice sculpture minigame. Oh man, it's so good! It's it's like <laughs> the barkeeper the barkeeper minigame is truly incredible as well. Uh, another one that uh, comes to mind something very specific that I had. In I my have not head. played the Maiden the Abyss game yet. Mm. Oh wait, I remembered a, I remembered a couple other ones that are worth mentioning. Uh, honorable mentions go to uh, Astro Boy Omega Factor on the Game Boy Advance, one of Treasure's last games and one of their best. Uh, it's not just an Astro Boy game. It's like this weird thing that uh, tries to connect a lot of Tezuka properties in some sense and has like a very strange story that elaborates further, I believe, as you play it again and again. <laughs> uh, and while not the best game in the world, the Capcom uh, JoJo fighting game, uh, Heritage for the Future, is a lot of fun. Has some oh. gorgeous sprite work. I almost forgot Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. One Punch Man fighting game again, just because it was so funny. Yeah, the One Punch Man fighting game is very funny, although its actual gameplay is pretty eh. But the concept of waiting for like Saitama to actually show up and he's just a deliberately overpowered character is very funny. It's like it is. I mean, it stands as a good example of what to do with an de, with a deliberately overpowered character in a game like yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Um... Dragon Ball Z Kagura. Yeah, yeah. Dragon Ball Z Kagura. I mean, like Cyber Connect Two is generally very good at their job. Uh... Yeah. Yes. I don't know much Naruto, but those games seem pretty cool. Yeah, they were they were very good at catching those up. Uh, speaking speaking of weird ass Naruto games, uh, Ubisoft Montreal made a couple Naruto games for the Xbox 360 that are pretty decent. That's weird. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, that was not Montreal, right? Let me check. Uh, yeah, I haven't tried Made in the Abyss yet, so I don't know how that one is. Um, yeah, I haven't touched that. And. Uh, I am interested in the Jobless Reincarnation game that's coming out. Mm. Okay, but yeah. I am I'm I'm very tepid on that one too because the source material for that is sometimes very weird and it's a very dark anime. Mm. And Maiden Abyss is not? Well, Maiden <laughs> I don't I've I know Maiden Abyss is Cute and dark at the same time. Jobless yeah. reincarnation has a forty is a forty year old man who dies, but ever, and he comes back, you know, as a kid, of course. And as we know, always do. Yeah, kind of overpowered. Um, as always. As always. <laughs> but every time he talks to the god who reincarnated him, um, you see him sitting there as his forty year old fat self. <laughs> 
Oh, that's just depressing. Yeah, uh, moving so on. And, he, and, he, and he mentions it's like, why do I look like this? <laughs> oh, okay. I actually just realized that one of these things that I just thought of actually uh, does uh, fit back with the previous question about games that incorporate fighting game into other genres. These two Ubisoft Naruto games are weird combinations of 3D platformer and fighting game. Very strange choice, uh, but you know they're pretty decent. They're pretty weird, uh, and they never came out on anything else. It's very strange. I have no idea what happened here. Uh, okay, clarification to your question, Budai. Are you talking about ones that released in the U.S. or ones that only stayed in Japan? Uh, most successful RPG that never got a sequel. And um, just to taunt people like Wales, says Chrono Trigger all. I mean, uh, you may not like that it's a sequel, but it got a sequel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but what if it got a good one? Uh, yeah. He never said good sequel, it's just a sequel. Yeah, successful RPGs that never got a sequel. Successful RPGs that never got a sequel. Really small number. Um, yeah, market forces tend to stop this from happening. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's in terms of sales, it's probably something like yeah, Legend of Dragoon, Bloodborne. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bloodborne's Blood up there. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you can argue that Bloodborne is part of the style. Yeah, yeah. and also no. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. it's one of those things where it's like Bloodborne is up for debate about how much it doesn't does yeah. or doesn't have sequels. Yeah, if I said uh, Demon yeah. Souls, it would be it's you'd have that more would of be a lie. You'd have more of an <laughs> argument there because obviously Dark Souls are very much in all but to that. name is a sequel. Yeah. Bloodborne has its own gameplay identity that the other yeah. games don't have. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, not including. Sp obvious spiritual sequels um yeah i think legend of dragoon is a good choice yeah in terms of that sold quite a few copies it definitely has a cult following and it doesn't really have a sequel mario rpg okay. count no because no. Paper mario was designed as mario rpg 2 yeah it's like the super mario rpg does not count just because there are i mean there are two other completely different mario rpg series yeah, There's like still, it, I mean, it, 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 it very much like the name Mario RPG was verboten, but like the games are designed as sequels. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to think of like particularly successful games that just don't have sequels. It's very hard for that to actually happen. I can think of several, but none of them are particularly set successful. I yeah, like they're not thing. successful at all, and yet still do have sequels. How many Zillow games are there? More than I would have expected. <laughs> considering the first one, I, the only one I ever played, I think, was actually on a Super Famicom emulator. I think it's a PS One game, but yeah. Yeah, what? What? No, I mean, I remember something earlier than that. It was weird. Yeah. What's what what's that one that came out on Sega and then got a port for both games onto the GameCube? Are you thinking of Evolution World? Because that game sucks. No, thinking yes. of, oh, I thought you were gonna say Skies of Arcadia. Because that's not both games, but yeah, Skies of Arcadia, Budai brings up, and 
the reason that that does not come to mind is that the reason they started production on Skies of Arcadia sequel, and Skies of Arcadia 1 had sold poorly, and the port of Skies of Arcadia 1 also sold poorly, so they killed it. Mm. It's it's a wonderful game, but it was never successful by any real measure. <laughs> it's a great game. It's a wonderful game. It has probably one of the most vocal cult followings of any game I know. The the director on that game loves to talk about how, like, if you can convince Sega to try this again, I would be happy to go back to this. Like, that was... It was a beloved game, both by the people that played it and by the people that made it, but you put all those people together in a room and you probably still haven't built up the Saitama Superdome. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for the nerds out there. I think a biggest issue was first it was on the Dreamcast. Yeah, and then it was on the GameCube. There was a PS2 port plan, but the PS2 was such an albatross for Sega to try to learn that it just never happened. Also, for Honestly, those not aware... Okay. Yeah, if, honestly, if it was on the PS2, it would have probably did well enough to actually warrant a sequel. I'm not actually convinced it would have, because it would have been on the PS2 in like 2002 and would have just gotten completely crowded out by a deluge of also-ran RPGs. Uh, what's that? I said there is that, because the, yeah. the PS2 has like so many... So many RPGs. Especially in that era where it was just drowning in JRPGs. Uh, what I was going to say was, for those unaware, the Saitama Super Arena is a uh, fairly large arena with a maximum spectator capacity of 36,500 people. So that's the joke I was making. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. It's the most blatant ripoff from one game to the next in RPG history. That's going to depend upon if you're talking about story or gameplay. <laughs> hmm. um, okay, let's go way back then. Crystalis. That's a great little game, though. Crystalis. <laughs> Crystalis, the Poison Swamp. Boss. Hmm? Entire setup around the Poison Swamp. That is so obviously Nausicaa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even beyond the usual um, obvious rips on Ghibli imagery from, like, Final Fantasy and everyone else, it was yeah. still obviously <laughs> Nausicaa. Yeah. This does remind me of a thing that's not an RPG thing, but it's still very funny. There was a uh, character in King of Fighters, I think it's K49, mm -hmm. uh, which is a character that showed up in King of Fighters 2002 that was so directly and obviously a lift of uh, Tetsuo from uh, Akira that they just deleted him from the franchise. <laughs> like... They weren't. No, there's no evidence that they were ever sued over this. They have re-released KOF 2002 without uh, any issue in the past, but it seems like they were just ashamed of how obviously he was just Tetsuo. <laughs> they eventually retooled the character into a different character in King of Fighters 15, but like the original K49 version of him has never been allowed to reappear. 
What do Pokemon imitators miss when making their games? Uh, an enormous marketing machine and a sense of novelty. <laughs> yeah. I've played quite a few interesting Pokemon variants, and the biggest issue has always been finding someone to play with. Yeah. Like, Pokemon itself would not work if you didn't have people to talk about it with. <laughs> A lot of it is about sharing, like, oh, this is my team. It's made of X, Y, and Z monsters. Everyone can play through the game with their favorite Pokemon. It's always going, and their favorite Pokemon can be any of them. You know, as, as lovely as something like Metarot might be, there's, you know, only a handful of people you're ever going to find to play it with. Uh, and, you know, plenty of times when they try to make uh, deviations from the Pokemon formula, they end up producing something that just, like, it sure is different, and it sure is worse. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's often the issue that I had when I tried to play Digimon games back in the day, is that, like, oh, this is very different from Pokemon, and it has just all the worst aspects of playing with a Tamagotchi. I, I remember... Um... Kurikin, which mm-hmm. was basically a real-time strategy monster-collecting game where your combatants were uh. germs in Petri dishes. Huh. It was weird. It was fun. It's I had absolutely good. nobody to play with it. Play it with. Yep. That'll do it. Yeah. You know, and, and then of course there's just the the alt also runs that no one wants to play with names like Robopon. Yeah, I actually played that once. <laughs> I did not get very far because it was a Game Boy game with very, very slow movement. Very slow movement. I believe it has a... The slowest movement I've ever had because Aretha 2 takes the cake on that one. Oh, I don't even want to know what that sounds like. Um... Of... Single digit frames per minute. I mean, not quite that bad, but still, it's like it took. Snails are faster than the pace that this character sprite went across the Game Boy screen. Could I ask if Pokemon knows even a shred of its existence to SMT or not? Like, I, I would consider it mostly coincidental parallel evolution. Yeah. I mean, if if you have to tie Pokemon back to anything, it's more likely to tie back to Dragon Quest V. Dragon Quest V and the concept of having beetles fight each other as a quintessential Japanese pastime. And honestly, I mean, Dragon Quest V owes part of it to that, too. Yeah. But yeah, wasn't the the creator of the series on record as saying that he was more inspired by capturing health and stag beetles and having to fight each other? Yeah, that's usually the story that Satoshi Tajiri gives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that like uh, the 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 method of collection uh, is is quite different, and what you're actually doing with them is quite different. I think it's just convergent evolution. Yeah, or like the the capsule monsters from Lufia too, mm-hmm. which were probably more inspired by Dragon Quest V. Definitely. <laughs> but yeah. 
that's one of those things that like you know you you see the the mechanics both existing and coming around the same uh coming around beforehand but you know smt was it's not unpopular but it was a relative niche uh if you were trying to and you know when pokemon was conceived was like 1991 anyway so should be you know, just shortly before Dragon Quest V, which probably had a big influence on, yes, this is a project we should be pursuing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, of course, we feed back into that by Dragon Quest seeing that that, uh, that that is a market that has opened up, so now it's time to make Dragon Quest Monsters and bring that back full circle. <laughs> mm-hmm while still making a game that honestly owes its mechanical deaths to Dragon Quest V. <laughs> mm-hmm. Main characters to Dragon Quest VI. Yep. Because that was the recent one at the time. Yep. Hey, Caravan Heart had the, had the kid version of Mr. Manly Chin from Dragon Quest VII. Good old Kiefer. Because that was the recent one at the time. Uh, yep. Seven was out and eight was not. So, even had the uh, the priestess from the All Jobs Abbey. Yeah, good old All Trades Abbey. All Trades Abbey, yeah. Before she had learned how to do it with people, so she was doing it with monsters instead. Sometimes you just gotta slowly learn things. I mean, that was the exact uh, reason she gave. It was like, yeah, I'm still learning. Gotta make sure you don't kill a human in the process. Test it out yeah, on the monsters first. Mm-hmm. That's ethics, baby. Dragon Quest hadn't been a huge success it was in Japan. Do you think anything could have filled that gap? Uh, something probably would have eventually, but it would have required someone to work out the correct process of simplifying both interface and gameplay in such a way as to be palatable, because Miracle Warrior sure as shit wasn't. Yeah. I mean, Hori is, I mean... Had to work to convince his bosses to let him make an RPG to begin with, as I recall. Mm-hmm. It was only That's after not... he, I mean, it was only after he was successful with an with an adventure game using a very similar frame or window interface to Dragon Quest. That mm-hmm. They gave him the go ahead. Somebody yeah, like... else, I mean, was I mean, he wasn't even the only person attempting to do something different with the formula at that point. Mm-hmm. So. There, there was a lot of ideas about, like, you know, generally the idea was that you made things simpler and easier, uh, simpler interfaces to fit with the Famicom's controller. And so RPGs had not yet been, they had not yet worked out how to simplify those in a way that was both satisfying on the controller and, they, you know, fit with the younger audience that were expected to be playing them. Uh, and Dragon Quest yeah, I mean- does that quite ably. Right, right around that same time period, you had Final Fantasy and you had Fantasy Star as well. So, it's definitely not outside the bounds of imagination that somebody would have come up with something, a third series to compete, because just it was mm-hmm. the boom time to be trying that stuff. Yeah, a lot of the people who made games really enjoyed playing RPGs and wanted to make RPGs. So, uh, hence why so many of them stole material from the Dr- Dungeons and Dragons Monster Manual. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, yeah, one of those things that, like, inevitably someone would have done it, but Dragon Quest definitely, like, hit on how you could simplify both the interface uh, while maintaining what was interesting about RPGs uh, earlier. Because you also, 
uh, had companies directly trying to port, say, the early Ultima and Wizardry games to Famicom at the time, and like that was those are th those are cult hits at best because it's one of those things that's like they very much are not designed for that interface, that controller, that uh, experience. Uh, let's see, Shining Force, uh, Shining Force, enough of a blip on the radar in the USA for Fire Emblem to have existed. I don't. Uh, I, I guess you're asking if Shining Force did well enough that, like, Shine, that Fire Emblem could have had a similar cult following. Yeah, probably. But also, Shining Force is way less mean than Fire Emblem in that era, which means that I think it might have actually, if Fire Emblem had been released on the Super Famicom in the U.S. without any sort of like class, uh, 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 any sort of casual mode, I think that it would have been kind of a doom venture. Uh... What was the obsession with early Western RPGs being so difficult? Uh, they were built with the same, they were built for the same kind of person who really enjoyed uh, things like the Tomb of Horrors in D&D. &D. Yeah. It's like, uh, if you look at a lot of the independent strategy RPG developers right now even, you see a lot mm -hmm. of games that were made for people who really liked this kind of game by people who really kind of like, like this kind of game and such it's not very accessible to anyone who is not familiar with how to play it properly. Mm -hmm. by, properly are... by properly I mean finding some way to completely maximize every potential aspect of the game's system in order to deliver maximum damage. Um, yeah, sort of sort of turning the entire like mechanical construction into a puzzle where the correct answer is the highest number you can squeeze out of this. Yeah. So, you still see this in corners of the indie games sphere, but back at the beginning, that was the entire mentality there. Is like, these are just guys who are enthusiastic enough about the style of games to be making it in the first place. Yeah. And the audience is not quite there yet, so they're mainly making it for themselves and their friends who really like these games. Yeah, it's like wizardry is very much. How do I play Dungeons and Dragons when I don't have a group? Mm -hmm. And, and so... not modern Dungeons and Dragons, but the you ha we have a large group of people who are basically like a guild. Who we're not sure who's going to be there any given week. So every single week, it's a different uh, trip down the dungeon. It's a dungeon people. run. And also, we are at the point. It makes a lot more sense when you actually look at the first edition rules. Oh, that, yeah. That's so. called a Tomb of Annihilation. Um, uh, Tomb of Annihilation is the modern attempt to get that back. But yeah. Hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm playing through the campaign. Uh huh. My wife killed three characters in a span of about 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's just how they work. For a while back, I was, saw a question about, like, okay, what, what languages would you recommend for a group doing Tomb of Annihilation? And the response was, okay, well, you know, magic solves most of your language barrier issues, so I would suggest being fluent in American cussing. <laughs> because you're going to be cussing a lot. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, two of the characters were the same player, by the way. He, his course. first character died. He rolled up a new character as we're going this it gets introduced it died five minutes later <laughs> like honestly if this i was is... going to organize a game of tomb of annihilation i would request that everybody bring in at least five characters sheets 
quite possibly related. Like, okay, give us some quintuplets here. They just keep replacing them. So just just don't get attached to anyone. They're not they're not wanted in this so world. That, that that is what. Although we really we really like my wife's first character that died. And yes, yeah. my wife is both the, the other thing. Yeah, my wife is both the player and the DM. Hmm. Oh. That would be the other thing, simply to have at a, as a session zero, just saying, yeah, we're going to pretend that this is completely non-canon for any character that you might actually like. Yeah, you can just okay. pretend that they they got uh, they got removed from the dungeon after be suffering near fatal injuries and decided they weren't going back. Uh, but no, I mean, no, ser seriously, just like if they die, that don't care. You can still use them anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like Tomb of Annihilation is the kind of game where you, it's just it's a very different play philosophy, and it's simply how badly can you break a character? Yeah, break the game. The the other thing to note about these is that this is also people attempting to simulate D and D back when D and D had. A fairly large contingent of players who considered the dungeon master's role to be adversarial to the players. Yeah, which is also a holdover from the old wargaming period in this genre. Yep. There are still people out there who have that. That's that why I said a large contingent, yes. <laughs> as opposed to yeah. modern uh, holdovers. Yeah. yeah. So it does get its fun stories like Tucker's Cobalt's. Oh, good old Tucker's Cobalt. Jesus. Uh, let's see. Which I uh, referenced in a story at one point. <laughs> as, as is fitting. Uh, yeah, to to the point where if you mention Cobalt's to the characters in these stories later on, they're just like, nope, nope, we're not going in there. Wise choice, as anyone who's encountered Tucker's Cobalt's would say. Um, yes. What was the nature of JRPGs to counter the unapproachable Western RPG? They made them simpler. There's a reason Dragon Quest One has one character. <laughs> Yes. You have one character. You walk around. The, you walk around the world. When you die, your character just gets set back at the front of the king, and he's like, "Go on, keep trying." With half the money, because Hori believed in gambling. <laughs> Hori is a compulsive gambler, and that's why all of your best equipment in Dragon Quest game will always come back to a slot machine at some stage. Yep. But. Yeah, uh, just just one of those things where it's like, it just the nature of your one character has one set of equipment, only have to worry about a handful of objectives. You're not just crawling down into one dungeon to see how far you can get, like a uh, like a wizardry proving ground of the mando matter overlord, uh, or just Greyhawk. Yeah, like it's it's. I would say, in some sense, it is the removal from that original tabletop ideal. Like, because the people who were making RPGs in the West were trying to emulate tabletop RPGs, their idea at the time of how to make RPGs was always going to be blinded by the fact that to make it more like the tabletop was how to improve it. Whereas in Japan, you've got people who are playing things like Wizardry and Ultima, but who don't actually have, who haven't actually played tabletop RPGs with other people. So to them, they're looking at these games and seeing, okay, I like this, but I don't like that. And so they're only seeing it in the context of, this is a game I play by myself. What parts of it do I remove to make it more fun? What parts of it do I change to make it more fun? 
And then once that cross-pollinates back into the West, you start seeing people, uh, either because people in the West are designing games based off JRPGs or they're designing them based off of only having played computer RPGs, you start seeing Western RPGs simplify in different directions, but the same philosophy applies that we're no longer having as our ideal plays the most like a tabletop RPG. Our ideal becomes plays like a single-player experience that I would want to have. That's how I would describe the differences here. Um, where can you pinpoint Western RPGs becoming more user-friendly? KOTOR comes to mind. I would say that the less that a game deliberately attempts to emulate Dungeons & Dragons, the more user-friendly it became. Uh, so... Baldur's Gate over its lifetime becomes friendlier, but it never becomes friendly. But once you hit KOTOR, which is using D&D rules, but no longer has D&D death rules, it becomes user-friendly enough to reach a mass market. But that would just be my opinion. You, got the, you guys got opinions? No. Nope. Is Wales even still alive? He has been scrolling back and forth through a yeah. menu. I think, I think he's starting. trying to figure out what he wants to download and play. No, I think I'm trying to find something that's going to keep me awake because I'm starting to fade. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, so let's maybe uh, close out with this question then. Yeah, that sounds uh, good. But yeah, like KOTOR was the first uh, Western RPG that I could play comfortably and not be feeling like I had to learn a litany of rules I was uninterested in for the actual kind of game I wanted to play. Hmm. Uh, for the part, like, when I, even now when I try to play Baldur's Gate, it's like, I'm going to have to live with extremely archaic uh, ideas of how uh, characters should be treated as, well, that one died, time to get a replacement. I'm going to have to live with uh, like extremely Byzantine roles about how combat resolves. And KOTOR is the first one I can think of in that very distinctively Western RPG subgenre that it has abstracted away the parts of the game that I can't deal with. So that would be my choice as well. Yeah. Uh. I think, yeah. I think, I think I mentioned this a while back, but Romancing Saga 2 had a very similar gameplay loop like that, too. Was like yeah, at the time that it came out, if it had come out in the West, I would not have been able to make heads or tails of Romancing Saga 2. <laughs> yeah. Just because it really plays a lot more like one of the CRP, the older Wizardry-style CRPGs where you just ha you're just making a group and you're going out, and the group may if not If they die, survive, they die. It's uh, it's very telling that when, uh, when Kawazu started posting on Twitter, he just uh, like people started asking him what he thought about Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. He immediately excitedly went and bought books of it. Bought books of what? Bought books for D and D Fifth Edition. <laughs> <laughs> he is a tabletop man. <laughs> I mean, you just just look at the like look at the world maps for the three romancing saga games. He is a tabletop man. <laughs> yeah. I mean the romancing saga one has 
a mythology behind it. It has its own version of the Titanomachy. It has a ton of lore that has absolutely or has little to no bearing on the main story. I mean, look at something like Unlimited Saga. As much of a failure as that game kind of is, like that, that feels that like someone attempt to try and make a tabletop experience on PlayStation Two. <laughs> I, I could a hundred percent see somewhere buried in that game's like design document is basically a like simplified tabletop rulebook that was maybe used for concepting how the game should play. Oh, definitely. But... And honestly, that uh, playing playing an unlimited saga tabletop campaign would probably be more fun than playing unlimited saga. Um, but yeah, uh, since I promised, since and wheels is slowly if, dying. Okay. Honestly, if I'd ever actually played unlimited saga in English, I probably would have been taking notes for converting some of the scenarios into tabletop encounters. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. It's oh. got some good. It's got some good question encounter design. Did, just, did we at least cover I mean, one from the list? Yeah, we covered a few. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. So for now, we're gonna uh, we're gonna kill it. So speaking of tabletop RPGs and the people who are traumatized by kobolds. Oh yeah, that was episode seven, by the way. Mm. Yeah. That was fun because do you know how many different archetypes pa uh, Pathfinder has specifically for kobold characters? Oh, I can only imagine. Five, but there are two more that really fit the the uh, characteristics quite well. So, um, and I, I I had versions of them all involved in the story, and came up with an encounter to use, and showed it to a friend who does tabletop games, and he's like, "Are they supposed to survive this?" No. <laughs> and my reaction was like, "No, but may they do mainly because the other side is taking prisoners." So, um, yeah, so, yeah, so Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, um, very loosely based on Pathfinder, because that's what I had on hand when I was coming up with the idea, and, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff to play with in there. Um, but yes, a an actual play podcast in literary format, if you can imagine that, it's actually predates the style of YouTube video by about five years, but... Hopefully it's going to be more. It's the easiest way to describe it. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually very happy to have a way of describing it like this now. Mm -hmm. So, it, it used to be I would try to describe this, and everyone was like, "Oh, so they're going to meet their fantasy characters at some point." I'm like, "No, this is not Portal Fantasy." Nope, they're just playing. <laughs> I find it amusing that four different people assumed it was just from the basic description, but no, it's not. Mm -hmm. And it's just. It's... But now one of them has to try to make pun pun. No, we're not. Sorry, I mean, no, that a... one requires some very specific D and D lore. D specific D and D rule books, yeah. Yeah. No, no, that takes that goes what down to way too many rabbit holes there. But no, but yeah. But no, I, I mean, I, I like to make random references. Like episode seven had Tucker's Cobalts. Different episode had um, a character fighting a gazebo. Someone has to. The gazebo attacks. I mean, it was a necromantic construct that had haunted a gazebo. So, it was an actual enemy. And the player was like, um, this, I'm supposed to be fighting architecture? So, it's like the opposite of the gazebo story. <laughs> yeah. 
the um and I mean I mean the the orcish warriors afterlife is called Gronyard. That's fun. Which the the game master has never actually acknowledged the pun in that, only that there is a pun and that none of the characters have and none of the players have actually gotten the joke yet. <laughs> so. But uh yeah, but yeah, this is the kind of series it is. It's just it's um Actually, true story. At one point, my dad was like, "Okay, do you think you have enough? Or do you think I think you should probably tone down the number of Monty Python references in this one section?" And I'm like, "No, no, in jokes are for me. If anyone else gets them, it's fun. <laughs> it's all about making the in jokes funny, even if you have no idea what the reference is." Yep. So. But that's available on Amazon via Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. We have ten episodes, two side stories, soon to be three side stories, um, a paralogue, and all in all, currently four paperbacks and working on the fifth. And counting. And counting. Let's see. So that's uh, that's where we're at for Princesses of Pizza Parlor. Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Thank you. But as for other things to plug, Tam, tell us about the RPG Gamer training schedule. Um, mostly up in the air this week. <laughs> so uh, you can usually catch uh, myself, uh, the Mighty Tam, Tuesdays and Thursdays on twitch.tv slash rpgamer. Uh, I am one of several different people who stream on the rpgamer channel. Uh, we usually stream seven days a week, a uh, bunch of different people, a uh, bunch of different games. Um, we even have a rule in effect where no one will play the same game twice within like a eight month period. So you're, you're, you get a lot of variety. Unfortunately, this week, most everybody is sick. <laughs> oh, whoops. So uh, Hairfrog's sick, Scar is sick. Um, Paul's had appointments. Uh, JC is out because he has a, a review he has to get done, and it's embargoed, so he can't even stream it. So, oh wow, yeah. So um, and here I am with a completely wrong schedule and no idea how to stream anyway. So oh well, too bad. Yeah. So, uh. so like this week, it's uh, Paul should be on tomorrow morning. Uh, I was here Thursday. I. I, I I couldn't stream Tuesday. What was going on Tuesday? I had something. Did I wait? Did I stream? No, I did not stream Tuesday. What happened Tuesday? I had something going on Tuesday. I forget what. Oh, so yeah, or maybe I was no, I, no, I was. I did stream all this week. Last week I was out. So yeah, but the, no, this week has been a complete bust on our schedule, and I apologize to anyone who's listening. But usually you can catch us seven days a week, all different times, and. Uh, it is posted on twitch.tv slash rpgamer. We also have it posted, I believe, on our Discord, or if not, it is easily available if you ask. Hmm. Nice. Wheels. Uh, you can catch us on Sunday nights and around midnight Eastern time on twitch.tv slash askwheels. We play various multiplayer games for Sunday night shenanigans. Uh, uh, last week was perfect dark, and then for some stupid reason we decided <laughs> to torture ourselves p 
attempting to play Perfect Dark Zero, which was utter garbage. <laughs> and by for some stupid reason, I whispered evil directly into your ear. Yes. <laughs> it was not good. And then we played a little Gears of War, which was better. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I had a headache, so uh, I couldn't participate. So yeah. they played counter operative for a while. That was yep. fun. <laughs> that was neat. Uh, I'm not sure we're playing this week. Um, just a side Country Halo. Yeah, probably Halo. Uh, just a side note: uh, if you're looking for me on Mastodon, my account is now Askwheels on Mastodon.social, which I believe is the main. That's Mastodon like the big server. one. Yeah. The one I was on before is closing down. So Wait, there's Rip. a um, there's a gold jar on the right hand side for you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So, and you can still find me on um, uh, uh, co-host.org/slash/ramblemaster. Uh, Most recently, I was shouting about how. Uh, Ghost Trick Phantom Detective is coming back and how that makes me happy and that you should play it. You should play Ghost Trick Phantom Detective when it comes out again. Um, let's see. Uh, and he, though he is not here, uh, just because he would uh, probably ask us to if he were, I will uh, point out that you can check out Friend of the Podcast, Smoking Joe, uh, streams most days that we aren't uh, on twitch.tv slash Gamer. I believe most recently he was streaming the Metroid Primary Master. So, nice. Good times. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Budai and Fireminer for providing our questions this week. Uh, if you'd like to provide questions for us in the future, you can uh, ask us via the Twitch chat, if you catch us when we're streaming, usually that's around 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, on typically Wednesday, but sometimes Thursday and Sunday if you catch shenanigans. Uh, if you would like to ask us questions in a more asynchronous form of communication, you can ask us questions via the comments section of this very episode, or you can ask them in the uh, RP Gamer Discord, which you can get get to by going to rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab. That'll get you an invite. Uh, and if you're asked in the podcast section, we will check it. But uh, otherwise, I think that wraps it up for us. So, see you, Space Cowboys. See ya. Yeah.